Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Today we got uh, we got a special guest. We got Miguel Rosario, uh, better known as Gravity or AKA Gravity. Uh, he's a B-boy out there in the Bronx. Uh, and he might be representing Puerto Rico in the Olympics' first ever breakdancing uh, uh, segment. Gravity's journey hasn't been a smooth one. Um, there's been a lot of challenges, and and we have talked about some of the, the mental health struggles that he's undergone. And so we're going to get into all that. Uh, Gravity, how you doing, brother? Where you at right now? What city? Yo, flowers, man. I appreciate this, man. I, 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 first off, you know what I'm saying? Shout out to you doing your thing, the podcast. And, uh, and what you guys stand for and what you guys are trying to bring awareness to is, is a big deal and it's an amazing thing. So shout out to you, man, and thanks for having me on. Um, just to quick clarify, uh, breaking obviously did start in the Bronx, but I'm a Brooklyn kid all day, every day, born and raised. Um, it wasn't until I was about 21, uh, 20, 21 years old where I moved to Phoenix, where that's actually where I'm at right now. Um, I'm in my facility. It's called Break Free uh, Phoenix, and it's a hip-hop school. It's just an outlet that we have, and it's a dope, it's a dope facility, man. We teach break-in, uh, graffiti, DJing. I mean, you name it. It's anything to do with hip hop happens in this building right here. That's dope, man. And you know, working with children because we know we got to catch them young. The schools have been closed uh, for a while, yeah, with the pandemic and everything. What made you want to open up a, a facility and, and and work with kids and give them this opportunity? Man, you know what? Um, sorry for the back noise, man. Uh, I've got a lot of stuff happening over here. My kids are here and stuff. Um, but, you know, the the whole point of this, man, was my friend. I had this facility way before. It's been about a year and a half now that I've had this facility. And it'll be almost two years now. Um, but before that, before I went to Break Free, and before we became Break Free, uh, this is just my creative space, man. I was just in here training killing the game, just working out and, and, and practicing and getting ready for what was to come. You know, we just started the pandemic when I got the facility and I just, every, all the practice spots closed. And I was like, man, forget this. I'm going to just open up my own warehouse and just train in there. Uh, and then so many things blossomed out of that. And during the pandemic, one of my friends named Moy Rivas, he has a facility uh, in Houston. And he was like, bro, we got three locations now, one in Kansas city. Would you be willing to run your own school? And we talked about what it would take and, and, what, you know, I've always been familiar with Break Free. I've been around since when Break Free first started. And, you know, I've always been a fan of, of their work ethic. I've always been a fan of what they stand for. And so when it became something possible to do out here in Phoenix, I jumped on it. Like, who wouldn't, you know? And so we we just been grinding. And, and, and the thought process behind creating a hip-hop school was being the most different hip-hop school. So out of all the locations... You know, I wanted to stand out as being a top tier level hip hop school where you're getting like massive quality, you know, and like I just wanted to put in extra, 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 extra work. And we have been, man, and our students are doing good. They just won their first championship title out here and they've only we started in October, you know, so um, it's been it's been amazing, man. It's been an amazing journey, but we really did it for the fulfillment. You know, like this is this is like the future of our culture. So it's important that what we teach and how we teach it makes sense. When you say how we teach it, tell me mm -hmm. more about that. Cause that's, that is so important. I, you know, I took Kung Fu and it wasn't just about the movement and, and throwing the punches and kicks. 
there was also mm. a philosophy behind it. Uh, when you talk, when you say how we teach it, say more, please. Of course, man. So when we come, when when a new student comes in, or mainly actually when a parent comes in, we want them to understand that there's a mentorship here. Uh, all my instructors have been with me for the last 11 years as far as we've been growing together. When I first moved to Phoenix, man, these guys were killing it, you know, come, wanting to learn how to do it. And I was there teaching and they've been with me ever since. Then when this break free thing happened, you know, I don't just teach breaking, you know, I bring them along for the ride. I, I go on, I travel the world with some of my students, man, China, France, I mean, New York, LA, I mean, you, you name it, we've been there. And when we go, um, it's, it's a lot of lessons learned, a lot of lessons on loss, a lot of lessons on pressure, a lot of lessons on family struggle and, and, and how to release that energy, because this is something that I had to learn myself on my own was how to, you know, release this energy. And, and, you know, when you're, when, when somebody's angry or when somebody's going through mental frustrations, it's very difficult to say, yeah, you just let it out all out on the floor on dance. You know, there comes a point in time where the dance is not enough. And so it's just about creating different outlets within the movement, within the culture uh, to keep us distracted and to keep us motivated, to keep us positive. Because, you know, surviving through breaking or just making a career out of being an artist is a very difficult thing. And so uh, I know firsthand. And so when new parents come in and stuff, we explain this to them. We explain where where we are in life and where we started and, you know, the generational like levels of teaching in here and, and what we want to provide for their children and for the youth of this community. So things like creating a career path, we're not just showing our kids how to DJ, but, you know, like for instance, we have an event coming up where uh, it's like our, our, it's like our, our, our six month recap, our students are throwing their own event. They're going to be hosting, DJing, judging, handling, you know, tickets at the door and all this stuff. And that's a, it's a big deal to teach them about organization and commitment and dedication and not just that, but business. You talked about having a place to release the energy because dancing is not enough. And, mm-hmm. and you talked about, you know, being able to release uh, uh, any other attention or what's going on in the body. I know that like a few years ago, you were involved in a car accident. Yeah. And I would imagine for you, that had to be, you know, a person who's a dancer, loves to move, that, that had to be a struggle for you mentally, emotionally. How did you release the, 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 the energy at that place? And, and tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the, the accident. Yeah, man. So, um, man, that's a, that's a rough one. So, you know, I've had, I've had numerous, like maybe like uh, top three moments in my life where it was like down, you know? And the most recent one is the motorcycle accident I was in. Uh, basically, I had a motorcycle. I, I love jumping out of planes. I love swimming with sharks. I'm, I'm, I'm down. You know, I love to just create new avenues in my life and, and just, you know, new excitement. You know, if I can jump out of a plane and, and land safely, I, I mean, that was worth it. You know, so whatever the case is, I got a motorcycle. I loved it. I live in Arizona. You know, saying the weather's amazing. The road, there's no potholes, open highways. It's a good space. Whatever the case is, I was riding and um, loving it. And then it got to the point where, you know, I just, I was over it. You know, I was going to sell my bike. So I was going to sell my motorcycle. I had a Yamaha R6 and I was going to sell it the next day. Um, and I had, you know, that the day before I was going to sell it, I told my family, hey, uh, one of my guys has a show in Phoenix downtown. I'm going to go for a cruise and just, uh, I'll see you guys later. Everybody's like, all right. 
So I get on the bike. I just have my, I had shorts, a t-shirt and sunglasses on. I was just going to cruise, man. You know, 40 miles an hour the whole way. No rush. My whole family comes out of, out of the house just to give me a hug. And I was like, that was weird. You know, it was super weird. I was like, all right, come on. Everybody give me hugs. Let's go. Big kisses. Let's go. You know, I got four kids and my beautiful fiance. And everybody came. Even my dog came out and like jumped on me to like get love. And I was like, yo, that was weird, bro. So I'm like, you know what? I followed them back inside. I grabbed my jacket, my helmet, and my, my headphones, and I just, like, I got on the bike, and I took off. Smooth sailing all the way through, uh, slightly traffic, not too much, and then all of a sudden, uh, this guy was weird. He was, like, in a red, old school, like, it was, like, a E30 uh, BMW, top was down. And he was just like, kept looking in the rear view and I peep everything. When you're on a motorcycle, bro, it's different awareness. It's there. You could see the concrete, you know what I'm saying? Like you looking at it. And so, uh, whatever the case is, man, this freaking guy, he just kept coming in front of me when I was like riding. And I was like, Oh crap. You know what? It's weird. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to switch lanes and I'm going to take off. I'm going I'm to gun it. So I look back because we have a blind spot on bikes. And so I took a quick look back and I heard as soon as I, as soon as I might broke my neck, it was like, as soon as I heard that skirt, I turned around and I mean, within, within a split second, he went from 20 feet in front of me to zero feet in front of me. And uh, I hit my brakes. I saw it coming. I hit my brakes, the bike laid down. And then I got scared because I thought I had shorts on. I thought my leg was going to scrape the floor. So I let go of the, of the clutch and the wheel spun up and it flipped me high side. So uh, a high side flip is when you know, the bike is sliding, you know, vertically and it just shoots you over. My leg was still caught under the bike. And uh, so it shot me forward. And at about 40 miles an hour, I hit his his bumper head first. And then I laid down flat on the floor. My bike flipped and it was like bumping and bouncing all over the place. Totaled. And then um, whatever I laid down, I was right by the exit that I needed to get off to. And I, I laid down and. Once I laid down, I kind of like took a deep breath. I realized what happened and I like looked around. And when I looked around, I went to push to get up because I realized I'm in the middle of the highway. Nah, man, that didn't happen. My leg was totally dislocated and broken. Um, I didn't realize it. All of a sudden, all these cars pull up surround me and they, uh, they, they get out their car all these people get out the car and I'm right by the hospital. Everybody was coming back from their lunch break. All these doctors and nurses were there, took care of me on the spot. Ambulance came, take me away. Come to find out, man, I have no feeling emotion in my whole left side. Uh, temporarily paralyzed because I pinched my sciatic nerve. It was like instant spinal swelling because of how hard I hit on impact. Pinched my sciatic nerve and then my whole left leg went limp. I didn't feel it for two days. They put a catheter in me. They had to like fix my leg, put it in the cast. Re, re, um, it was dislocated, so they had to pop my hip back in place. Like all this stuff happened, and the doctor was telling me, like, "Man, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. I don't think you're gonna be able to dance the same after this, you know." Like, and it was like, I went home without being able to like feel my leg, you know. I, I went. Sorry, I lost you. Um, uh, but I went home without being able to feel my leg. I, I was being told like I wasn't going to be able to uh, do certain things for a while. And it, and it hurt me, man, because, you know, I dance every day and I'm at the I'm at the peak of my career and I'm 
I'm crushing it, you know? And so it, it sucked to just be home all day, every day, not be waiting for my leg to feel better. But I had a catheter in me. I couldn't pee. Like I just had nothing, bro. It was painful. It was, it was degrading in a way, you know, and it, it, it just kind of sucked. Uh, it, you know, you, you talked about having a fiance and four kids, w you know, what was that like, uh, to, you know, be laid up and y your kids are around you and your fiance is there, you know, how did they handle it? And what, what surprised you the most about that whole experience? You know, they handled it well. They were so motivating. I was so negative, bro. Um, I was like the most negative person on the planet that I was quitting. I was giving up and that's not like, that's not my shit. That's, that's not my style, you know? Um, and they were just so supportive telling me I can do it every day, pushing me. And uh, it was just, it was incredible, bro. They were incredible. What surprised me was finally when I kind of got through to it, through to myself and I was like, I, it was maybe day seven. It was about day seven of feeling like this where I was like, you're tripping. Get up. Like I kept telling myself, just get up, just get up, just get up, just get up. And then it got to the point where I just got up and I just kept pushing. And um, I think it was day nine that I started getting the feeling back in my leg. And it was day 10 where like literally the next day where I was like trying to lean on it, you know, try to put weight on it. And I was out total for about, I was out total for about two months. Um, and it was, it, but what surprised me was like, it was only two months, like two months ain't a long time. You know what I'm saying? And I wasn't just, I wasn't just out two months. I was back competing at the highest level in two months. And so that was the mental state. It went from, you know, seven, like, I don't know, bro. It went from seven to seven to 10 days of, of just like, I don't know, bro. Just mental, like failure you know, like emotional failure, like just starting to figure out what I'm going to do next to make money, you know? Were, were there meds involved? Because, you know, I had uh, spinal fusion, tore my meniscus, and, you know, they handed me some painkillers. And, uh, and, and I immediately was like, I see how people get addicted to this. Was, uh, what was that like for you? So... The best thing was the morphine, <laughs> you know, the best thing was the morphine. I'm not going to lie. As soon as that shit hit. And I remember that was like one of the first times I ever, you know, got, got a glimpse of morphine, man. And I was like, whoa, I didn't even know how to handle it. You know, like I really didn't even know how to handle it at first. It hits and you're like, what is this? You know, uh, excuse me. Let me fix this real fast. I want to make sure I look good too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, man, the morphine, when the morphine kicked in, I was like, okay, this is it. You know, like this is what I need because I didn't feel no pain. And although like I didn't have any feeling on my leg, um, the problem was my back and my neck and my head was aching so bad. And when I got hit with the morphine, I just remember, I just remember laying there for like 30 minutes, not worrying about nothing. The TV was on. I didn't care about nothing. Um, and that was epic, bro. It was legendary, you know what I'm saying? Um, and and uh, that felt good because it felt like the pain was never going to go away. So uh, come push, come to shove. They finally released me from the hospital and they gave me these 
codeines and these Percocets and these drugs, bro, like heavy, I'm talking about heavy meds, you know, and first day I was taking them, second day I was taking them, third day I was taking them, day four, I was like thinking to myself, I don't even take Tylenol when I'm sick, bro. I don't take no medicine when I'm sick. I'm the type of guy, I don't know if you know, but celery juice, some people think celery is a vegetable. It's an herb and it heals and it, it is incredible-ish, man. If you ever want to heal fast, I'll, and I can get into the healing process if you're interested, man, but celery juice is crazy. Anyway, so I realized that I was getting to the point where I wasn't even needing the pills. I was just like popping them because like it felt good to just crank one in real quick and you know not 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 have to worry about the pain coming back so it got to the point where i wasn't even letting the, i wasn't even allowing myself to feel the pain i just kept popping them and uh and then this is like you know first couple of days out of the hospital day four bro i was just like out of it and i just started pounding water i didn't want it in me anymore and then it got to like every couple of days i would take it and then it got to the point where i just wasn't taking it anymore um and I, you know, certain days where it was really hard. Hey, Ivan, can you just make sure like the kids are, yeah. Um, and so there's certain days where it was really hard. And then there was certain days where it was cool, man. I, I think, I think where I, where I just am just a lucky mother effer, bro. Like where I am lucky, bro, is my family, like my kids and, and my fiance, man, they are so on point with me. Like they bring good vibes. Like if you ever met them, bro, you just know like, damn, that's a lucky guy, you know? And so uh, you know, it got to the point where they kept my mind off of it and we started getting busy and my son started practicing. So I was working with my son, forgetting that I was hurt. And, you know, it's like, I, I, I'm actually a lot more fortunate than most people because I have that support and I got that squad of kids and family here. You know what I'm saying? I, I love that, you know, you just light up and, and there's a, there's a glow about you talking about the family and, and your fiance and you could, yeah. Yeah, I could see the, the, how proud you are of them. Has it always been like that, feeling that family support? Did you grow up in a, in a household where you felt like your family had your back and, and was there for you? It was really just my mom at one point. My dad tried to be supportive when he, when it was older, when I got older. But the truth is, like, um, you know, he just was focused on his own life. And, you know, I, I don't even hold him to it. But it was really just me and my mom, you know, and family, you know, I, I didn't start breaking until I was about 16. I was on my own, man. Ain't nobody cared what I was doing at that time except my mom. And I put her through hell, you know what I'm saying? So, like, just being a street kid, I put her through hell, you know? And so it was always just me because at first, you know, I did gymnastics 18 years. And my mom was like, she dedicated her whole life to me doing gymnastics and having a career in that, you know? And then I stopped doing that because I wanted to pursue breaking. I found that in high school. And I was like, nah, this is what I want to do. So the movie got served and I was in it. I was sold. Um, and so then it got to the point where, you know, no, I didn't have that support. It wasn't always like that. I think that it was just me and my mom. And I think at that point, you know, that's all you know. So it was enough. It wasn't until I actually had my own family where, you know, it was like, this is this is what we need. So we support each other. You know, my, my fiance, she's, you know, right next to me right now. Well, she's in the other room and she's doing lashes and she has her own business and you know, like my kids, they, they, they want it. My son wants to be a professional skater and breaker, you know? So like, we're just constantly doing stuff for each other with each other. You, you, you talked earlier about the healing properties of celery juice. And yeah. I actually, I want to get into that, but uh, we also talked about how there was a point in your life where 
uh, you were in a dark place and, and felt like ending your life. Can you talk to us about what that moment was? Yeah, man. Um, whew, seven years ago. Uh, I, I'll never forget this day. It was, it was a deep day, bro. Like, you know, um, I, I, I don't even think I've really spoken about this, but, uh, well, like, you know, suicide, but, um, I have in the past spoken about what I'm about to tell you, but, you know, as a child, I was molested by my babysitter's son. Um, I was five years old. I'll never forget it. It happened for about two years, you know, and nobody, I never told anybody. I didn't tell anybody until I was 29. And uh, it was because it was like a time where I had to, I had to say, I had to share it, man. I had to make a YouTube video about it. I had to just let it out. I don't know why. I, I just, that's the only way I knew how to do it. And so I put it out there and whatever the case is. But anyway, uh, when I was a kid, I was molested and it sucked. It was like, you know, you don't know no better at that age. You didn't know what was happening, why you were being touched like that, why you being moved like that, and what, what the fuck is going on. You don't know. And so um, I, when I realized how wrong it was, I dealt with the questions my whole life by myself. Um, then it got to the point where, you know, I was being bullied. I was always a little skinny kid, bro. Chicken legs. I still got the same size legs from when I was 15. You know what I'm saying? Like I was just a skinny dude, bro. And I was always getting picked on, spit on, slapped, pushed around. Like, bro, it was bad, bro. Like, um, before ninth grade, bro, I was, I was seven years old thinking about like hating my life and wishing, like wondering, like. I remember hearing like, when you die, you can come back as an animal. And I used to think like, what animal would I want to come back with as? And I always wanted to like, see like, what happens if I end my life at seven, bro? You know, I'll never forget this, bro. I used to draw orcas everywhere. And I just wanted to come back as a whale straight up. I was like in the ocean free. Um, and so whatever the case is, man, that's where, that's where the first thought ever came up when I was younger. And then the thought always oh, just hung out. It just like chilled, like it could be easy. Fast forward seven years ago, just, uh, fast forward to seven years ago, um, you know, I'm in my relationship. It's not working, uh, you know, up and down, wild, wild energy, wild mentality, like just traveling rock star life, you know. And then the only time I really enjoyed myself was when I was traveling or if I was drinking and partying. And then when I would come home, I would be dealing with bullshit that I didn't feel like I wanted to deal with, excuses. You know, from being, you know, just a ignorant, immature, young uh, adult, young parent, young wannabe, uh, you know, entrepreneur slash boss. Felt so entitled and pointed my fingers a lot at, you know, why me? Why this? I'm failing. I'm about to lose my facility. I had a big old warehouse. I was about to lose it. And I remember just quitting. Quitting, you know, like just quitting. And I, I owned a gun and I thought to myself, that would be a way. And I was like, that's mad messy. I'm thinking about how people are going to see me after like straight up, bro. These are thoughts, you know? And, uh, and you know, I just uh, I thought about like just freaking hanging myself, bro. Like I really did. You know, I was deep into it. I, I set it up. I was ready to go, bro. I was like ready. And as I was in that process, you know, I, I like double take, I thought about it and I was like, the hell am I fucking doing, bro? Like, like, you know, when, if nobody tells you that it's okay to start over and it's okay to fail, when you fail, you feel like you lost everything. Nobody's there telling you or 
sharing with you that, you know, it's, it's okay to fuck up. It's okay to, to suck. And it's okay to be at rock bottom. Like rock bottom is not a bad place, bro. It really isn't, but nobody, but people tell you that, you know, and when you see everybody else doing good and you're at rock bottom, you start to wonder why you, and so that's the place that I was in, man. Um, it's funny because that very next day I had an interview and I, I can send you the link to it flowers, man. But, uh, basically, you know, my eyes are all puffy. Like I was doing this interview at my facility. Nobody knew that the day before I wouldn't even have been there. Like if it wasn't for me just coming down off that fucking mat that I had there ready to kick it out from under my feet. And, uh, this is crazy. I've never really uh, explained this night to anybody. So this would be the first time I ever do it, but I'm such a transparent person. I kind of don't give a fuck, you know, like I, if this will help somebody, I'll tell them, you know? Um, so whatever the case is, man, uh, that next day I had an interview showed up. I knew my eyes were puffy. I knew I looked like shit. Cause I was crying for fucking eight hours straight, you know? Um, and it got to the point, man, where, uh, I started to then realize like, what are you doing? Like, why, how can you, how can you just give up? you got kids like how could you be a quitter like that's what I was telling myself and that whole night I remember telling myself like never again never again you can't hurt yourself bro like like what are you doing you know like you're better than that and it took for me to tell myself like I just sit there and like look around my facility and think about how many people were able to do something like that like just start their own business and you know, I already had students, I have my family, but I didn't realize and I didn't take responsibility for my own actions. Um, I, I, I blamed other people more than I blame myself. Oh, speaking of the speaking of the woman herself, say hi, babe. Hey, hey how are you? <laughs> babe, just throw up West Side. Yeah, but uh, I love you for that. That was honest. I'm good, baby. Um, and so uh and so yeah man you know like as a young adult you you don't hold yourself accountable a lot of us don't as as young teenagers we don't hold ourselves accountable we as kids we don't we just blame everybody else and so if you're used to people doing things for you coming up as a kid and you get older as an adult that's all you know then that's the first thing you do you blame somebody else for why you're in the position you're in and if you can you know what i did was i kind of stepped back i realized all right i'm at rock bottom I realized that I just did that. Like, like I really just did that right now. Miguel. like, are you kidding me right now? You know? And, uh, and then ever since that very next day, man, where I did that pod, where I did that interview and it was for a, a college project that somebody had, I just thought to myself, man, like people want to know about my life. Like I'm, I'm doing something. And then honestly, um, my life kind of just changed after that, bro. Like my mentality, my thought process, how I, how I move, what I truly waste my energy on. And then I held myself accountable. I, I told myself my biggest flaws and I told myself where I can have the most improvement and what, what I'm really good at and what I'm really bad at. And then I just thought to myself, okay, how do we get good at all of that stuff? And then uh, I just, it just became more about myself. Um, and, and that's that's a that's a hard thing. Some people think that being selfish is a negative thing, um, but it's not. It's nothing wrong with putting yourself first, you know. And when I realized that, I think that I was able to do a lot more for others. When you say put yourself first, what does that what does that look like for you? You know, is that, does that mm -hmm. mean that you're getting up before the rest of the family? 
does it mean that you get the big piece of chicken first? Like when you say putting yourself first, how do you, how does that play out in action? Yeah. So putting myself first means I'm not going to be in a situation that will make me feel uncomfortable. If I don't want to be there, I will not be there. And I have to stand strong to that because my energy is very important and I need to protect it. Um, putting myself first means that I am not going to, I cannot make anybody else happy in my life if I'm not happy. So I need me time. I need, I love nature. I'm okay. I took a drive out to the Grand Canyon by my damn self, four and a half hour drive to reset. I sat on a 5,000 foot cliff by myself for an hour and a half and then drove back home. That's what I mean by put myself first, meaning I don't need to take my whole family on every single trip I go to. If I want to take a trip on myself and if anybody has a problem with that, I don't really care because I need to take a trip for myself for a reason. A lot of people won't do that. A lot of people won't put themselves first. And this is something that even like my fiance, like I told her, like, babe, you need to do that. You need to, you need your time. Go time. Bye. Go. I got the kids. Like, go, you know, like, cause I know how important it is. I know how dangerous it is to not have that. And so, you know, um, being able to do things like that allows my family to have the bigger piece of chicken. I Does love that. Make that. Sense? Absolutely. Yeah. It, because now you come back recharged, you come back invigorated I'm and ready. you come back with excitement. Yeah. You ready yeah. to go. You, you ready and to hear all their that. stories. Yeah. 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 Show, show me all your little projects and a, you, you, you got on your test and show me your, your moves. Cause you, yeah. you, you restored yourself. Yeah, Absolutely. Now, you also talked about, you know, taking – so it sounds like – I just want to kind of recap your yeah. path on, uh, you know, having a gun, setting up, you know, the, the rope mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And it sounds like the way you were able to uh, kind of decompress or, or get back to neutral was, one, uh, you started to recognize your accomplishments, you're looking at all the things that you've done. You looked at the fact that you had family, uh, that you started a business, uh, that, that just how far you've come and what you, and the fact that people want to hear you speak and hear your story. Uh, two, it also sounds like, uh, what was the other thing was, uh, I wrote it down. Oh, that you held yourself accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, uh, like you were blaming so many other people for what was going on in your life and that you start to take responsibility for yourself. And then- you know, the, the last part was like you took stock of what your strengths were and what your weaknesses were. And mm-hmm. then you were like, how can I make these all strengths? Is there something else in there in that road to recover? It sounds like this path uh, is something that you've done pretty much yourself. I mean, yes, your family's been around you, but uh, was there, did you go see a therapist? Were there any meds? Was there any group therapy, any of that? No, uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't take no medicine. I wouldn't do anything. Um, I did have a drinking problem at one point. I would just drink a lot. And I think that's where it put me deeper and deeper. You know, it just, I don't drink anymore. Actually, here and there, I'll have like maybe an occasional drink, but I love wine. So like that's as far as my extent goes. My favorite drinks are Moscow Mule, but I usually, maybe, I think, I don't know. I've had one, I've had two this whole year so far, you know, like, and I've had like maybe three drinks this whole year, you know, like, and these drinks were like, you know, I had two glasses of wine with my mom in New York recently. And then the other two Moscow mules were spread out throughout the year. You know what I'm saying? Like before it was like, I don't know, four or five times a week, you know? And so this years, years ago. Um, and it was just because, you know, I live in Arizona, everybody's barbecuing and catching up and 
drinking every weekend and it doesn't hurt to have a beer here and there. And, and I think that something like drinking all the time, it puts you in a weird place. It puts you in an egotistical place that doesn't really makes you feel entitled. Alcohol sometimes I think makes people feel entitled when they start to uh, abuse it or use it too much. Um, but no, bro, there, there was no other, there's no drugs being taken. You know, it was really just before I go and, and make this decision of ending my life. Am I sure? There's no, there's no reset button, right? So am I sure that this is the road I had, or this is the road I want to take? And when, when, and I don't know if anybody else has been able to do that. Some people obviously don't. Um, and, and, and I think it comes from being afraid, you know, it's a scary thing. And some people feel like maybe, I don't know, but you know, maybe some people feel they, they just got no other options. But the truth is, the truth is I was able to, to, my eyes were open. I knew what was happening in that moment, but then I, I don't know. I, I remember just, I had a big warehouse and I remember just kind of looking around and like ready to say goodbye to everything, bro. And I remember just looking around like, wait a second, you know, like, hold on a second. I mean, I sat, took it off my neck. I sat down on the mat and I just kind of thought to myself crying, hysterical, bro. And I just like looking around and I was just like, man, like I could never, like, if I'm not happy, like, can't I just change this? Like, like for real though, like, can I just leave or can I just do something? Is there something I can do? And, uh, and the answer was yes. You know, it was, it was yes, man. Like, you know, can, can I be better to my family to avoid the arguments? You know, can I put them, you know, as a priority? Can I, you know, stop dancing to compete and start dancing to just dance? And, you know, everything was a lot of pressure, you know, everything was about money and everything was about like grinding. You know, I, man, it's, it's difficult, you know, to be out there and not be a part of the rat race and not be an employee and make this shit happen. And, my family, we were all living in the warehouse because we had nothing else. Because I decided to just get a six thousand dollar a month bill through a warehouse because I had a dream. Like I was a very, I operated very selfishly in a negative way where you know it was like uh, nobody else mattered, you know. But I'm 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 in a different selfish point where everybody else matters. But in order for me to make them happy and give them my full time, let me give myself a day a week or two days a week to just be me be by myself, you know, and do what I want to do. And so I think it's just a balance that I found over the years. But, um, you know, I, I think that I'm just a lot more fortunate than some people, man. I won't lie, man. I'm very, 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 very fortunate um, to have the support from my kids and my fiance, and my mother, and my dad now, you know, and, and I think that's what helped. But at one point, you know, when you feel alone and you feel like, you know, you are alone, you probably are alone. But it's probably because of you, not because of anybody else. You know, um, yeah. some like go ahead, go ahead. Uh, I was, no, I was going to say uh, because it definitely takes uh, effort and being proactive in terms of connecting with other people, and also right. in that vulnerability of being willing to share your story. You, you talked about sharing your story on YouTube. Were you surprised yeah. at how people responded to that? Because so many people are afraid to share their story because they're afraid they'll be shamed or ostracized. What was your experience with sharing your story? 
It was dope, man. You know, I don't normally share. I don't normally read comments. It's not my thing. Like in my field of work, there's so many negative comments out there. Um, you know, you don't read the inbox, basically. Um, but I was very curious this time to do it. And it got a lot of it got a lot of great response, man. It got a lot of it didn't get really much traction. And that's OK. You know, but for, I feel like for the people that did, you know, a lot of people responded with like, thank you. I needed this or thank you. That was great. Or, you know, and I, and I thought that was really dope. Um, but it felt good to get that off my chest so that if you have seen it and you look at me, you can see why I am where I am today. And I'm not, not talking about success wise, just who I've become and who I've masked myself to be is, you know, there's, there's always an answer and, and, and to be present and to be mindful and thoughtful of, of others. And, and to also think, Hey, I'm not the only person that's going through this. And you never know if the person you're in an argument with, or the person that you're fighting with has their own demons that they're going through that they don't, they didn't have that experience yet of self like self-recognition and, and just kind of like self-worth. You know, and so it's important for me to share that energy. So, you know, I don't I'm not a big person on asking how was your day? Uh, I'm a big person on saying what was the best part of your day? And that is something that I do on a regular basis. Whenever I meet somebody I'm like, oh, man, what's going on, man? And they're like, great. How are you? I'm good. How are you? And then they're like, great. And I'm like, man, what was the best part of your day? Like, I'm trying to learn people. I'm trying to know people. And and I'm a I'm a I'm a, I'm a traveler, you know, like back in the day when human beings would travel, they would meet either good people or bad people. and and I want to be that person that's always met, like, yeah, you know, I met Gravity. I met him too, bro. Was it like I want that to be that goodbye, you know? Like, so I, I love that. You know, you talked about being able to let go of blame. I would assume that there was a part of you that was uh, angry at the adults in your life uh, when you were experiencing the, the molestation. How, how did did? Did you have a conversation with your mom and how to, what was that like? Yeah. I told her when I was 29, I told my mom when I was 29, grown man, I was like, Hey, I wanted to tell you, I don't know if you, you know, I know you don't know this, but, and then I broke it down to her and she just looked at me like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know, like a big part of why I feel like this and feel like this and feel like that is, you know, some things happen. I haven't been able to talk much about it. And she just was like she broke down you know and she felt bad she was like why didn't you tell me and I was like well because I thought as a kid I didn't think like when somebody says like if you tell anybody I'll, I'll kill your family you believe them you're a kid you, you're looking at a giant you know um and so you know she just I told her about it and I, she was like I'm so sorry you know and I didn't know and I was like oh, I'm cool like I'm good now and you know just just you know now you know you know like I was having sex at a young age, bro. I was like 12 years old when I lost my virginity. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, what the fuck? You know, like it's happening. I just, that's just like, you don't know no better. It's stupid. Like it's ridiculous, you know? Um, and it was just a, a, a life that like molded me to become a really mean person. I found gangs when I hit high school and I was just about that life, dude. I was just trying to hurt everybody you know because i was as for so long i was picked on and bullied and spit on and all this stuff and then when i figured out how strong i was then i figured out man i got hands i just started i just started putting in street work and it didn't leave me anywhere but you know jail and, and looking at seven to 15 years and my mom was folk forking up lawyers and and all this stuff bro it, was, it sucked it just made me a mean angry person so so where did dancing, you talked about jail and, 
and and uh, but also talked about dancing. So that I feel like it's kind of like the Biggie Small story, right? Where Biggie's on the street selling, but he's also a dope rapper, and he's and there's there's a moment where he's gonna go one direction or the other. Yeah. Exactly like that. And was there was there nobody else that that came into your life that kind of was like, young man, you know, the, the path you're going down. Was there not a, a mentor or another voice in your head at any point, a teacher? You know, I had a lot of people tell me like, bro, the, the way you're going, uh, his name is Joey Jabino, and he was um, my brother's stepfather. But, you know, he um, he was a big person in my life as well. And he was a street dude, too. And, and, and but he changed his life around. He was just telling me, like, man, like, you don't want to go to jail, bro. Like, he's telling me the things that happened to him. He's like, I got jumped and people did this to me and that to me in jail. And you want that? Because if you do, go ahead, keep doing your thing. But you, you're a little guy, man. It's not much, not much you can do at Rikers, you know. And then uh, we talked, but I didn't listen, man. I just kept rocking, you know. And I've had people tell me, like, bro, you, you can do so much. You're so talented. You know, I just never listen. Like, you don't know my life. You don't know my story. Shut up, you know. And uh, it wasn't until I met these two twins that wanted to learn how to break. And I mean, they wanted to learn how to flip and I wanted to learn how to break and they knew how to break. And we started talking and we do, it was in summer school. It was this thing called big apple games in New York city. And, you know, it's just like you go and you do gymnastics all summer, you come in and whatnot. And, you know, we just kept hanging out. And then it got to the point where I was kind of balancing the gang life with the dance life. And, you know, I'd be with them, but if some shit had to go down, I had to bounce because I had a, I had a, not just a reputation, but a responsibility. I ran like a really big gang and it was just like, you know, I had this squad of people and it, it was like, things went down every single day. And so one time it got to the point where it was like, yo man, are you going to come to practice or are you going to come through this? You know? And it was like, I'll go to practice. I'll, yeah, yeah, come on. And then it just kept being practice became started to come more and more and more like consistent. And it got to the point where, I was juggling the street, gymnastics, and breaking. And then I let go of gymnastics, and it was street and breaking. And then I let go of uh, the street, and now I'm full-time breaking. But it wasn't until I was about 18 years old where I let go of the street. And actually, 17, going to be 18, um, that I let go of that world where I wouldn't even pick my hands up, bro. It was it was just like, nah, I'm going to go dance. I'm out of here. I, I left Queens. I didn't even go back to Long Island City High School uh, to, to do anything, uh, other than just like say hi to my coach and leave, you know, like I, I wouldn't be around anybody. I left that whole squad at cold Turkey too. It was like, I'm out, but I had went to jail and my mom, I saw my mom crying and I was doing tiles on five years probation. It was either, basically I got the ultimatum. Um, do I want to do, um, seven years in jail or just in, in enroll in the military? And I chose military who wouldn't. Right. But then well, during my trial, during my case, they had just passed that law. So it was vetoed. I, I was no, that voided out. I, that was no longer an option. But because I picked that option, they gave me five years probation. And then that's where, you know, I started off. I was man, 17, you know, and, you know, it's just like I after that, I was like, man, I'm not messing this up. Because then I would have to if I messed up, I'd have to finish my time in prison. And I didn't want to do that. Um, I just wanted to keep dancing, man. So. How old are you now? I'm, I'm about to be 32 on the 20th of May. Wow. So happy yeah. birthday. Uh, Thank in case you. Thank I, you. I, don't, I don't reach out. Now, yeah. to backtrack a little bit, you talked about the healing properties of celery juice. I mean, I'm yeah. all leaned in on that because 
I, I used to use it as a, a anti-inflammatory with pineapple juice. So please, for the people out there who are struggling with inflammation Ooh. and, you know, you know, just using all these medi- um, pharmaceuticals yeah. to heal themselves, what are the healing properties of celery and what are some natural healing properties that you incorporate? Okay. So here we go, bro. So I've been through multiple injuries. Uh, my most recent injury is my knee injury. That one sucked so bad. I had torn meniscus and I didn't want to take drugs. I didn't want to do surgery or nothing like that. So what I did was I, I, I was, I listened to all types of podcasts. I can't wait to hear your other episodes, to be honest. Um, but I listened to Jay Shetty and Jay Shetty is a holistic guy. He's all about healing the mind, the heart, the soul and everything like that. And he brought this guest on and this guest started talking about celery juice. I'm listening to this guy talk about how celery juice changed his life and how he like he has clients who would take celery juice and they no longer have cancer. They no longer have diabetes. Started telling me all this stuff. I was like, I don't believe it. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna get some celery juice and I'm gonna juice it and I'm gonna do what he says. So I did celery juice. Basically, um, the, my regiment was I did it every single day. The first thing I did when I woke up, I didn't even brush my teeth, bro. First thing I did, I walked into the kitchen and a whole head of celery juice, a whole head of celery. I pushed it in the juicer, then I drank. It was like maybe uh, what was it uh, 20, 20 ounces of celery juice a day, and so. Uh, the way I did is that whole head of celery, I would just drop it. I just chug it back and I didn't eat anything for an hour after. So that's all I had. I didn't put nothing in my body except celery juice. So, you know, my body, my stomach's empty. Everything is empty. My body's not working. All it has to work with is celery. And so it takes this herb in and it, it first of all, your body feels it's disgusting. And your body, like, um, I don't know, like at first I didn't feel anything. Uh, but I did feel like my body knew it had some good green in it. And then it got to the point where I was doing it every day. And I started realizing that, you know, my knee wasn't hurting me as much. I restarted. And, and it's crazy because I would do the celery juice. And then after I did the celery juice, I would just pound water. After that hour, I'd pound water. And then I would juice all types of carrots, uh, ginger, lemon, apples, spinach, kale. And then I would juice 30 ounces of that. And I wouldn't eat anything until I finished that juice. And then I had only like one major solid meal that day. And there was everything in it, like meat and and broccoli and freaking mashed potatoes, pasta, rice, everything. And there's all these different protein and carbs. And that's all I ate, one meal. And then I wouldn't do it again. And so basically the, the thought process behind this was the less my body had to worry about digesting, the more it can focus on healing. And when it was digesting, what was it digesting? And that's when the celery juice came in and all the kale and ginger and lemon and all these nutrients and vitamins that were, my body just got to, got to eat good, you know, Um, because your body will take whatever nutrients it can from whatever you eat, you know? And so uh, when it came down to like grubbing super hard, like that one time that day, it was just like, that's the only time my body had to work. Other than that, it was pounded on celery juice and nutrients, all the nutrients from celery. I lost like zero, like I didn't lose any weight. I maintained. And then, man, honestly, it just got to the point where I started to be able to do certain other things in my body. I just wasn't getting hurt. I wasn't injured. I didn't feel injured. Um, But my knee wasn't, it didn't heal my knee. But I felt 1,000 times better as a human being. I don't know if that makes sense. And it allowed me to 
strengthen my leg up with these exercises that I was doing. It allowed me to be motivated because I just had all this energy. It was good energy too. Um, and then it got to the point where, man, I actually did stem cell injections too in my knee and PRP injections. And I just started finding all these holistic things that you can do. Um, and it just, it was an incredible thing. But celery juice was like a good base. It is a good base for your body to just start operating and functioning way better. The less, you know, people think you have to have three square meals a day. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that's, I don't think that's true. Um, I think what we need is one solid meal and a bunch of nutrients. And so that's like what I believe uh, did it for me to help me bounce back so fast, so strong, you know, actually it took me two years. But once I found celery juice, um, it only took me about six months, if that. You, you know, I, go ahead. I totally avoided surgery. Like I'm talking about, I totally avoided surgery, you know, doing this. So I, I love all of that because actually the stuff that I'm reading about now, uh, I, I just, um, joined a, a sugar and carb-free anonymous group and okay. it's like an alcoholics anonymous but a sugar carb-free anonymous and one of the books that they recommend is called the obesity code and in that um the author uh dr fung i think is his name he okay. talks about intermittent fasting how you you can go 20 hours and then mm -hmm. eat in a four-hour window and it's that same idea of the less your body is digesting then the more oh, it's healing. Now, of course, yep. that depends on lifestyle. And, you know, like if you're going to go run a, you know, a, a marathon, like you want to adjust your meals accordingly. But generally speaking, uh, and then depending on are you diabetic, like there's a whole host of things that, that influence your, the type of intermittent fasting that you're going to do. Uh, right. But a lot of uh, research is now coming out on the idea of eating one meal a day versus three meals, three snacks, Etc. Yeah. Et it's like an abundance of food for no reason if there's no strategy behind it. It's just eating to eat, you know? Right. Are there any books that you've read that have uh, assisted you along your your mental health journey? Ooh, I wish you would never ask. Come on. <laughs> uh, so here it is, man. Ooh, I got a stockpile. Let me see my favorite one. first book i picked up it's called contagious right okay and why things catch on this is like you know you start to uh, learn other people's experiences you know and this one is by jonah Berger. it's a really good book another book that i have to like this is like a story so reading eases my mind because you start to especially the books that i read there are a lot of like like this one is shoe dog by phil knight and how Nike got started. And I read these type of books because you ain't the only ones going through it. You would think like Phil Knight's got his stuff together. That guy was just as all over the place as anybody else. And then one book of Bezonomics is like how just Jeff Bezos and business. I, I read a lot of business books because I like their journey. I like their story and how they, how they really resonate with myself. It, like the things that will really bring you down is thinking, can I really do this? Am I, am I on the right track? Am I going to fail or am I going to succeed? And that's a mental struggle in its own. And so I just like to read all these other people's like stories and stuff like that. But the dopest, um, where are we? Ooh, this is a good one. I'm going to hit you with a gem here. I found this one at the airport. But let love have the last word by common. I read it's it. Just, bro. Right. I didn't know. So, 
I didn't know. Did you know? I didn't know. I didn't know. That's what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying? And so I just think like these are these are the these are the stories. There's one book I haven't read yet, and I want to get into it. But it's called The Body Electric, and I haven't started it yet. It's a nice size book. I'm not sure how many pages. I'm not sure how many pages are in here. Um, we're at three. Yeah, it's about 333 pages. And so um, this is just basically on how the body really truly works and electricity and energy and how it affects your body. Um, also phones and like just like radiation and stuff like that and how to heal your body through electricity um, and how to heal your body through energy. And so uh, I do this uh, type of meditation. It's a breathing exercise, but it's called Wim Hof and it's very helpful. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but Wim Hof is I an have, amazing. Yes. Yeah. So the longest I've ever held my breath is six minutes. And this is something that I can do like right now. If I went and did the exercise, um, basically, you know, it's, it's, it's three tiers. Tier one is a hundred breaths, big, deep breaths in like <sighs> big inhale, big exhale. And you do this for a hundred breaths. And then on the last breath, you exhale and you hold. And that will, Basically, what you're doing is you're filling your body with so much oxygen. Your body is so rich in oxygen that it no longer needs to breathe. It's already got it in it. And so you hold your breath. I think the first time I did it, I held it for three minutes. Blew my mind. And then when you when you inhale to regain energy, you redo it and redo it, redo it. Then I did it again for four minutes. And then on the third one, dude, I held it for six minutes. And that's like something that I have on a consistent basis. But you're not thinking about the time. You're just in this zone. And I did it with, a, with these um, specialists, these trainers, these, these gurus in it. And they had these drums bumping and they were just going in. They were walking me through it. And uh, I do these different exercises. I do these different things because these are, these are things that I do to help bring me back to a grounded mental health, a grounded emotional state. Um, and it's just like, you know, exercising the mind, exercising the heart, exercising the body itself. And the, these things that you learn through traveling, through meeting people, through, you know, expressing good energy, uh, they, they help. And I started finding all these different things that just help mentally, emotionally. You discussed uh, the Wim Hof breathing and meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give us one more method in which you uh, use to ground yourself or to recenter yourself? Yeah. Um, Man, I think that the most, this is just for me, um, it's cooking. Like, it's creating a meal, and it's a meal that I don't eat. I do this sometimes for my, my family. I do this a lot for my friends. And actually, I cook for my family every day. But, um, but the times where I'm just in a place where, like, I'm kind of had, having a stressful day, I'll hit the kitchen, dude. And then when I hit the kitchen, everybody knows too. Everybody, nobody will say nothing. When dad's in that mode, it's like, all right, he's, he had one of those days. He's about to do it. Everybody gets ready because they know what's happening in that kitchen. Uh, so it's funny because I'll sit down and I'll just watch everybody else eat. And I get to sit back and kind of uh, reflect on my life and my family while they're eating a meal that I prepared for them. And I made that meal with love and I made it with care. And, or if, if the family is busy that day or they're not around, like I'll make it for myself. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll smack a meal that I've never done. I'll just create something off the, off the top and I'll just go and then I'll sit down and I'll eat and I'll just kind of enjoy it while listening to some chill music, man. I love that's like, that. my, that's my ground. Yeah. I love that. And then last two questions. Uh, okay. 
do you have a sleep routine? Oh, I wish I did. I don't, man. That's like my that's like my next goal is to accomplish a, a really good sleep routine. Sometimes I'm in bed by one, sometimes I'm in bed by ten, sometimes I'm in bed by nine. It just really depends. I don't get more than four to five hours of sleep in a day. Um, you know, I, I just I'm on a grind, man. And if I want to do what I want to do and balance with my family, I need to I need to get less hours of sleep and more work time in. And, you know, the goal is to travel the world with my family and not and not have to worry about the tickets and the pricing and all this stuff. I want to be able to go every time I leave. I want them to be able to go. And so in order for me to do that, you know, I got a lot of work to do. And so uh, that requires me to stay up a lot more. But I do wish I had a better schedule. I think I think I'm just lazy at that. You know, like it's just that's like my only thing. But I don't have a sleep schedule yet. And then last question, because I always believe and I ask this of all my guests always think that there's one person who might be listening in who may be on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Miguel? Man, I would say, have you seen the world yet? Do you know what it really has to offer? And if your answer is no, they need to get up and go figure out how you can go see this world. I mean, just in your own city, how much of us have, how, there's not many of us that have actually explored their whole city and what it has to offer. And through that journey of traveling, and it doesn't need to be traveling across the country, just go to local restaurants you've never been to, or go to a local store, or go to a, go to a dope area that you just Googled and just appreciate the things that are around you because I don't think that there's enough of us. Uh, I don't think enough people know how amazing this world is, you know? And so I would ask myself and I would tell them to ask themselves, if you haven't, if you haven't experienced it all, then, then, then you're not done yet, you know? Um, and you can do it. It's very simple to make a change in your life. You just have to, you just have to be okay with, letting go of your your current life um if you always do what you've always done you'll always be where you've always been when i heard that it changed everything for me gravity thank you so much for taking this time tell people where thank they you, can brother. find you man where, where they where they can link up <clears throat> find your school where's your social media yeah man uh my social media on instagram is gravity underscore official um you can follow us at catch Rec dot com and at catch rec w-r-e-k uh and then also break free worldwide man you can see everything that we're doing for the from the community to the kids to the competitions to the battles and then on youtube it's gravity tv g-r-a-b-i tv i love it and thank you listeners for tuning in remember this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you calling the 1-800-s-u-i-c-i-d-e or 1-800-273-talk you can always go to thrivewiththeleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Gravity. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.